Isn't that cool? I mean, those are things, simple things that all of us can do. I mean, if you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, if you love him and you believe in him, these are things that we can do. You don't have to have any uh, special training. Uh, You don't have to be a a really outgoing people person. Um, You don't have to have exceptional gifts. All that is required, really, to bless somebody is is to love Jesus and to love the people around you. That's it. I mean, remember, Jesus calls us to be a part of his mission. What is his mission? His mission, he came to earth to reach people who were far from him, to restore them to all that God has for them, the abundant life Jesus came to give, and then to see that reproduced in the lives of the people around him. That's, that's consistently what Jesus has taught and done from the very beginning of his time on earth. We find an example of that, uh, of Jesus then giving us that responsibility in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Uh, and as I said, this is, a, this is the passage that, that Francisco is, is painting over here. Luke chapter 10, the first couple of verses. And right before this, Jesus is teaching about the cost of following him, how it's supposed to be an all-in thing, a passionate thing, a, a daily thing, a lifestyle. So let's pick it up in, in verse 1 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others... And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, a few things. I'll make a few comments about this, and then we're going to move to a different passage in, in Luke 19 also that applies to what we're doing today. But something that jumps out to me is that these are just average people. We don't know anything about them. They're not the select group of Jesus' 12 disciples that he specifically called out to follow him. We don't know anything about their background. We don't know uh, if they're, how many are men or, or women or how, if they're teenagers. We don't know what their jobs are or were. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how long they've been following Jesus. We do know it's been anywhere, it was probably anywhere from an hour to maybe three years. So it wasn't very long. And, and Jesus he, he calls them. He sends them. They're part of the masses, just like you and me. And, and he sends them. The only special thing about them is that they are appointed. They're selected. They're, they're called. They're commissioned. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others. So, so what this should tell us is that I'm guessing most of us here today, maybe not everybody, if you're here today and you, 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 you aren't a Christian, we're glad you're here. We hope you'll consider and, and, and explore and, and, and really investigate but, but I'm guessing most of us here have been Christians a lot longer than these 72. Longer than an hour or at most three years. And, and, and they, Jesus sends them. They, they didn't need to be spiritually mature in their faith. They didn't have to have everything memorized. They didn't have to have a, a tight uh, theological framework. They didn't have to have all the answers of apologetics. All they had to do was be willing to go. All they had to be was somebody who was willing to go and bless other people by sharing the love of Christ, and by pointing people to Christ. Be simply willing to go where Jesus goes. That's the first thing that I notice about this. The second thing I want to draw attention to before we move on to Luke 19 is what Jesus tells the 72 before they go. Verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are to pray. We are to begin with prayer. We must begin with prayer. We're going to talk about this a little bit later 
But I just want to drop that there and kind of keep that, that thought in your mind. If we want to be effective, if we want to be fruitful, we must begin with prayer. So let's look at the Luke 19 passage, uh, verses 37 through 40. And this is the passage, um, this is right before Jesus, the week of the Passover, before he goes to the cross, before he's raised from the dead. There's a huge crowd. People have heard him speak. They've seen him do miracles or they've heard about this. They're all together watching Jesus walk in. And let's pick it up in verse uh, 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, what does this have to do with us being sent by Jesus and sharing our story and sharing our, 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 our faith? There was a Rolling Stone interview by a woman named Tanya Tonley. She is lead singer of the alt-rock alt band called Belly. I haven't heard their music. But she says this. For some reason, God is embarrassing to people. doesn't embarrass somebody to talk about how they completely bombed, got bombed the night before and puked all over themselves. But God is a really embarrassing subject. And that's, that's kind of strange. And, and she's, she's right. We talk about sports. We talk about the weather. We might talk about our kids, about work. But often we don't talk about our personal faith in Jesus Christ. We think, well, that's kind of a private thing. We might offend somebody. They might think we're kind of crazy. Uh, it, it, it might cause a problem in our relationship. They might ask me something I can't answer. And so we think it's just keep it private. But Jesus does not view our relationship with him as a private personal issue. Now, of course, we are saved through a personal faith in him. We were, we're born again. We were a new creation. Um, and we're, we're not... Say we don't have, we can't use our parents' faith or our spouse's faith or our friend's faith. But Jesus is, is saying in the face of the Pharisees who are saying, tell your disciples to shut up. This is, they're making a scene. Jesus says, paraphrasing, it's right and good for my disciples to speak of me passionately. If they didn't, all of creation would cry out. And what that means is if we're followers of Jesus, speaking about him publicly is not and is, is not an option. We are to do it. It's expected. It's the natural response of a person who has met Jesus is to speak about him. Respectfully, yes. Lovingly, appropriately, yes. Led by the Spirit, yes. But to speak about him and to tell others about him a lot. And we all know we're supposed to do that, but how do we do it? Well, a few things. First, we need to begin by viewing other people and treating other people as individuals created and loved by God, not projects to be won by God. Peter said this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I mean, the Bible teaches that each and every person who has walked the face of the earth was a person created by and loved by God. And each person and every person is someone of whom Jesus thought so highly that he gave his life on the cross. We ought to value them as much 
as Jesus did. In the Gospels, we're told that Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't see that Jesus looked at them with disgust or with condescension or with irritation or judgmentalism. He saw their pain. He saw their hurt. He saw their state spiritually. He saw what was going on in their lives, the pain, and he had compassion on them. That is a huge part of sharing our faith. If we want to be effective... Myron Augsburger puts it this way. He says, when I evangelize, I'm simply trying to describe people's deepest concerns and show how Jesus addresses them. So, for example, if somebody's struggling with anger and bitterness, you can show how Jesus gives peace. Or if somebody's struggling with guilt or shame, you can, you can talk about how Jesus offers forgiveness. If somebody's feeling unloved and feeling really shameful about themselves, you can point them to God's unconditional love for them in Jesus Christ. We are to see people through Jesus' eyes, and when they look into our eyes, they should see the love of Jesus for them. What else can we do? Well, we are to look for where God is at work in this person's life. God is constantly at work through his Holy Spirit in the lives of the people around us. And we are to look for where God is doing that and, and be a part of it, join into that. Next, back to prayer. We'll spend a little bit of time on this. We are to pray first, then listen, then serve, and then we can speak. Paul writes, I urge you then to pray for everyone. Everyone. If we begin, if we skip this test, all we're, that, that step of prayer, all we're doing is having a conversation, trying to argue them, into the kingdom of heaven, trying to impress them with what we know, what we think, the answers that we have. Prayer is what, is, is what brings God into the equation. I mean, the Holy Spirit is, is who gives us the ability to respond to him. And if we believe that, we must begin first and foremost with, with prayer. I mean, I'm sure many of you here today uh, have prayed for people in your life and you've seen them come to faith at some point. I'm sure many of you sitting here today are the result of somebody's prayers for you. We must begin with prayer. And then also I want to add this. We must talk naturally and authentically about what Jesus has done for us. I think, well, yeah, that makes sense. But what that means is that your God is doing something in your life. That your faith is growing and vital because we cannot take somebody to a place that we have not been ourselves. Billy Graham said this about evangelism. One of the greatest hindrances to evangelism could be the poverty of our own spiritual experiences. In Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller talks about his evangelistic misgivings before he experienced revival and his faith deepened. He wrote, I could not in good conscience tell a, a person, a friend, about a faith that didn't excite me. I couldn't share something I wasn't experiencing. And I wasn't experiencing Christianity. It felt like math, like a system of rights and wrongs and political beliefs, but it wasn't mysterious. 
It wasn't God reaching out of heaven to do wonderful things in my life. And if I would have shared Christianity with somebody, it would have felt mostly like I was trying to get somebody to agree with me rather than for them to meet God personally. Our effectiveness in sharing our faith and blessing others is directly tied to our connection with God and how strong that is. Have you ever been around somebody whose faith is so contagious and they're so full of joy, it's just compelling, it draws you to them? It's it's almost irresistible, it's inspiring, but also convicting? Those are the people that God most uses. It has less to do with personality type or gifts or intellect or abilities or experiences, but more to do with passion and connection to God. I mean, Jesus spoke about this. In John 15, remember where he talks about, I'm the vine, you are the branches? He says, if you abide in me, you can do great things. You'll produce fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to be effective in blessing people, we better be abiding in Jesus, walking with him, daily growing in our faith, growing under dependence upon him. We cannot take people and point people to a place that we ourselves have not been or are not at presently. We must abide in Him and have a passion, a growing passion for Him and a growing passion for others. We talk about going deeper in Christ and further in mission. If all you're doing is growing deeper in Christ, you're not really, and you don't, aren't going further in mission, you're not really growing deeper in Christ. If all you're doing is soating, sitting and soaking and, and doing your Bible studies and all those things and hanging with your Christian friends, but there's no, no outreach to others, no passion for others who don't know him, you're not really abiding in Jesus. You're not growing deeper in him. If you abide, you produce. If, if, you, if you love Jesus and you're growing in him, you're going to have a heart for people. They're connected. They must be connected. We cannot take people to a place that we ourselves are not presently at. We are to go deeper and further. They're connected. That's our mission. That's our our purpose. We have that responsibility. We have that that privilege. We should that should fill us with joy that we get to do that, that God entrusts us with that. Just like the seventy two in Francisco's painting. Jesus calls them, and then he sends them. They don't hang out with him all the time. They go. He goes with them, of course. His Holy Spirit goes with them. But he sends them off. That's our mission. That's That's our responsibility. And so, will we be like the 72 and we'll go where Jesus goes? Will we love others and see others as, as Jesus sees us and sees them? Will we, will we pray that God would put a, a burden on our hearts and that God would open doors? And will we abide in Jesus and then share out of that, that experience, that connection with Jesus? If we do so, we will see fruit. God will do something powerful in us and through us because we're given the responsibility. God trusts us with this. We are to be a blessing to others because we ourselves have been blessed. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you and we are grateful for the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us a growing and a a burning passion for you and a growing burden and passion for the people around us, that we would see them as wonderful people created in your image who you came to restore. So, Lord, we pray that, Lord, we would take that responsibility, we would take that privilege, and we would embrace it, we would accept it. It might fill us with a little bit of fear, but it should also fill us with um, with excitement and, and, and joy. So, Lord, help us as we move forward to abide in you, to be people of prayer, and to seek to be a blessing to people, to listen to them, to experience life with them, to serve them, to share our stories. Lord, we ask that we would be people who do this consistently and well, not out of our strength, but out of your strength, Lord, your spirit, your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before um, we close, I'm going to have you stand for the benediction. I'm going to invite our prayer team to take their place in the hallway over here. If you'd like somebody to pray with you after the service, please join them there. And again, I just want to remind you, if you uh, want to come back for the lunch, um, after the next service, you can see the painting and get a chance to ask Francisco and Stephanie some questions. Or if you want to get a look at it now, 